Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Dave Lecco with Deal Machine, and he has a podcast as well, so look for Deal Machine REI Podcast, where he focuses on wholesaling. But David, I really appreciate your time, and I'm going to make sure to also have a link to your socials in the show notes, and you can find him on most social media at D Lecco, L-E-C-K-O. But really appreciate you being with me here, Dave. Thank you, Jack. It's great to be here. So it's been a long time since the last time we might have chatted, but I do want everybody probably is aware of Deal Machine and what the capabilities are there. I warned you, I like to spend a little time on the entrepreneurship side of Deal Machine and maybe in a summary, briefly talk about how you found your way to this. 100%. As we were prepping, you said you want to go into the entrepreneurial mindset of things, and I couldn't help but notice you've done over 300 episodes yourself of your podcast, and I think that's an amazing entrepreneurial mindset is to stick with something long enough for the long haul rather than to try 10 episodes and then say, oh, this isn't exactly what I wanted and and moving on is you really stuck with it. So that's actually something that helped me as well. Because when I first had an interest in real estate, I was working 80 hours a week for a small company. And I noticed I worked a lot harder than the actual owner of the company. And so I asked him, hey, why do you have these rental properties? I invest in the stock market. And he said, it's because if you have rental properties, they can pay you every month and they provide more security than a business and help you retire early. Unlike the stock market, they can go up or down. And you don't really have control over that. He's as long as you get good deals and you buy and manage them well, they're always going to cash flow. And that is why I got into real estate investing. I started looking for a property, but I couldn't find anything that would cash flow. The prices that the realtors were asking were way too high compared to what I could rent it for. My mortgage payment was going to be more than what I could rent it for. I'm feeling discouraged. Thankfully, I found out about this meetup in town where everyone there was doing real estate deals and they said, I need to drive for dollars. And so the next three months I spent looking for rundown houses and I wrote down about 40. My stomach sank though when I saw one that was being constructed on that I had on my list. I felt like this was my house. How could somebody else be working on it? I went home and I looked up and I saw somebody bought it for a price lower than what I would have offered and knew I messed out on my very first deal. So I got a pen and paper and started writing my letters to all these owners of rundown homes that I found. And it just took so long to write these letters. Like I watched a whole episode of Friends and I had only written two letters, partially because I was slightly distracted watching TV. But the episode is like 23 minutes long and I was looking at my list of 40 thinking this is going to take hours to do. So Ultimately, I made I had some software development background. I made this widget on my phone that let me pin a house, look up who owns it, and then use like a third party to send mail immediately. So that way, I realized as like a human, I'm I was not following up. Okay, so I just needed something to make sure I followed up, and so that was my solution. And it 
it was not meant to be a business. Two years later, I realized, okay, like this is actually meant to be a business. I, I haven't taken any payment from this. I've put it on the app store because people wanted to use it in my meetup as well. So they started to trickle in and just staying focused on finding my first real estate deal and being solution oriented is how I ended up with this great business called Deal Machine that was, like I said, unintentional. It was solving my own problem. And I also did focus, I've got 14 rentals now, so I've, I've used it myself to get really great deals where I had a ton of equity. I was able to fix up those properties and they would be cash flowing rental properties, just like I set out to originally start doing in the first place. I had a great, have a great software business and then also became financially free when I was about 29 through the income from and cash flow from the rental properties. And I'm 34 now. When Deal Machine first came on my radar, it was doing exactly what you said. You could pin it, you could follow up and send out that mailing. Since then, how long has Deal Machine been around here now? You? Yes, Deal Machine, I started initially working on it. That story began in 2016. I didn't form the business because it wasn't meant to be a business until like March 2017. That would be about seven years. Okay. And then since then, you keep adding additional functionality. Some of those things, including not only the mailings and the like, but I see you can even do some comps and a few other things within Deal Machine. What additional functionality have you been adding? You can't wait. Yeah. So we noticed that everybody, when they're looking at real estate deals, is frequently in their car or out in the field. And so we set out to do a mobile first real estate investor platform. So that started out with driving for dollars. You can pull lists, you can run comps, you can use an AI assistant to help you calculate repair costs or talk with a seller, overcome that analysis paralysis. You can send direct mail and you can get the contact info to call or text message a property owner. And so you can do that through the mobile app. And I would say a huge focus of ours was keeping things extremely simple because as we started out talking about the entrepreneurial mindset, it requires focus for long periods of time. And if, if a new person is coming to look for their first real estate deal, it would be detrimental to have them look and try out all these like features when in reality, the only thing that matters is finding distressed properties and communicating with the owners. Everything else is nice to have. So we've done a lot of work in the last two years to really just make the key things extremely simple and to handhold somebody through those steps to get their first or first deal, really. A ton of people just come to us trying to get their first deal. And then also making the experience like bug-free and crash-free on the mobile app specifically. So that's also, I would say, like a huge focus of ours, more than just adding features. But you should be able to find a really amazing motivated seller and confidently make an offer and close your first deal with the six features that we had mentioned. A lot of people probably aren't. AI is the buzzword here right now, so it won't get into the nitty gritty there. But how are you training your, I'm guessing it's a large language model. How are you training that model? Is it from the content feedback from your users or how did you? There's no training. It's actually just chat GPT, but it's a, uh, you can use it through deal machine and then it knows real estate data because you're using it through deal machine. Whereas the normal chat GPT does not know real estate data. So that's actually uh, pre-trained. We don't train it. We just give it access to real estate data and let it 
talk to you. Okay. That's interesting. But you mentioned because of the entrepreneurial mindset, you need to focus on something and make sure it's sound first. If I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit. That's exactly right. How did you how do you keep that reined in? Because as entrepreneurs too, we have the squirrel mindset and we want to chase the next shiny object. That's right. It really depends on there's a misconception about millionaires having seven streams of income. They don't become millionaires with seven streams of income. There's seven opportunities and any one of them could work if you do the work. If you're spreading yourself across seven different things, probably none of them will work. And so I would say my goal was always to have my business serve me. And there's always some overhead with owning a business or having a business partner. And so if I were to start another business, it would mean I'm spending less time on the business that I have. No, I don't work eight hours a week. I actually probably work six hours a day, eight hours a, a day, rather. I, I probably work six hours a day now that we've got a staff of 30. And a lot of the work is actually being done by people who work at my company. But if I were to start another business, my business partner in Deal Machine might feel like I'm taking away time that he's putting in. and He might be discouraged from working as hard. And so I also realized I, I started a business so that I could live a truly amazing lifestyle. And so I, I would be very hesitant to add on more business partners, more overhead to a life that I set out to build, which was living out my passions. I've really enjoyed wake surfing. I've really enjoyed driving cars and learning how to race. I couldn't really do those things if I had more businesses. And so I, I want to make the business that I have the greatest rather than have a bunch of smaller businesses. That's an interesting mindset. I don't think that's easy to come across. Is there right. anything in your life that keeps you centered like this and, and focused on continuing that regaining your time? We as entrepreneurs, we do this stuff and we talk about being financially free, but in the end, that's what we're trying to attain is this concept of earning or getting our time back but then we just fill the voids. And anytime I free up a little time, I, I find a way to fill it with something else. Yeah. We're going on seven years of business partnership. So I was sitting down with uh, Jason Nickel, who actually started Lead Sherpa, which is a big texting service. And he said, David, seven-year partnership is unheard of. I've seen so many partners fizzle out through disagreements, and it, you should be really proud of that. And I, I appreciated him saying that so much. I think a huge thing that we did was I started Deal Machine, but I asked my partner to be my partner about a year in because I knew he had a skill set that I didn't. He was a much more talented developer. And he said, how about, what do you think is fair? It's already a business. How about I have 25, 30% of the business? And I said, no, we need to be 50% partners because this is a long haul thing. I never want you to resent me for the extra money I'm making when we're both putting in as much work, or maybe you're working harder through a, a certain phase of the business. I wouldn't want you to resent me to think that I'm getting the, all the benefits. And so because we had such like a, you know, fit, probably 10 year friendship before this business happened, I just knew that it was going to be a long haul thing if it were to be successful, not like a flash in the pan thing that we all just get rich from. So I'm super thankful that we did that. I don't know. It was just a gut feeling 
but I would say it's my relationship with my partner and the respect that I have for him and the work that he does. And I want to show appreciation for that by staying focused myself rather than trying to do other things without him or even with him. It's, I couldn't imagine Deal Machine being as successful without the focus we're giving it. It's just been a gut feeling that it's not like from a certain book, but it's just been something I've always felt. And I feel like it's very popular to say I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I guess a lot of them are successful. But for me, I just knew that wasn't the path. I want to be a focused entrepreneur. The only other business I have is my rental properties and acquiring properties, which is a separate business, but it has advent. It's very related to the core business of Deal Machine. So mm -hmm. if I have a story from over here, it's helpful to tell to the Deal Machine Masterclass or something, people who are trying to do this journey themselves. So they're related and they're not different, wildly different businesses. You, it sounded like you spent a little time and you found a good partner. I found, I have found that you either start with an awkward conversation or end, it ends with an awkward conversation. What hard conversations did you and your partner have to go through in order to get on the same page and get things moving? From the very beginning, we actually had an attorney draft an operating agreement and he obviously wanted less. So he was happy to accept 50% when I offered it. And I will say he's definitely worked as hard, if not harder than I have so far. So that's been good. We And we've always gotten along. A huge thing that we put in place that gives us peace of mind is that when business partners split up, they typically would argue about the value of the company and who's going to buy it for what price from who. We put in this place called a push-pull agreement. So if we're in disagreement and we cannot come to terms, one person can execute the push-pull agreement, which starts with naming a price. Then the second person would decide who buys it from who for that price. So it prevents you from lowballing and it has an actual procedure for splitting up as business partners should you ever have to do that. And we have not had to do that. But the fact that it's in place has given us like a ton of peace of mind if we are ever disagreeing about something. So I remember the first time we disagreed about something was we worked two years before we paid ourselves. First of all, we had a $20,000 year. And then the next year it was $1.3 million in revenue. So it was still just the two of us, I think, at the time. And we actually were scared of growing our business in terms of hiring because being responsible for someone else is a, was a scary thought for us at the time. I had hired a mentor who said, your size, you need to have this many employees. I think it was like six or something. And he told me what functions that they should do. And he and I were both doing the customer support at the time as like coming from software developers. That's probably not the, the person you want to show empathy and, and be really helpful, <laughs> especially while we're trying to build more features. It's, it mm -hmm. seems like less important. So that was actually a moment of disagreement where he did not want to be responsible for other people, but I thought to grow and to serve our customers better, we needed to. And so the way that we worked through that was, I don't even remember. I think it was just a matter of time. And then he felt like the pain of needing to do this customer service work. And it became less painful to to cave in and say, all right, let's try to hire someone and take on the burden of being responsible for them because that's less painful than me answering these support chats day in and day out. So yeah. just a matter of time wore them down. I think we got to be, we got to face facts that as humans, we will typically respond to pain more than anything else. 
Just to remind everybody, find David on his socials, D Leco, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. And do us a quick favor. If you found some value here so far, share it with one of your investor friends. So David, let's jump into wholesaling a little bit because that's part of your core business and what who you're servicing right now. 100%. Do you see, see any trends currently that people should be aware of? Let's start in the market. Yeah, there's a trend of interest rates going up and there's a trend of people thinking this won't work in my market because the interest rates are so high and there are less buyers. Truthfully, there are less hedge funds buying as many properties as well. So those are all trends that I've noticed. However, we have grown this year compared to last year when the interest rates were much lower last year. I would say, and plus I've done five deals this year myself that all cash flow meeting the 1% rule. And even with the 7% financing or cash filling $500 after the mortgage taxes and insurance. So those are great deals for me. So I would just encourage if you feel like it's not actually a market, your city is not like it's over overgrown with like too many wholesalers and you can't possibly find a way in. 70% of our users have not done their first deal and are doing their first deal in these 30-day challenges that we're hosting. Plus, I'm having done five deals in Indianapolis. So I would say the biggest shift is to find out how many properties that you need to find. And typically for me, it's like 500 rundown properties mailed six times each would be enough to get me a deal. But that may change for your market. So ask, find out how many properties that is for your market and actually do a full test and realize that you're new. So you're going to maybe struggle with a few steps there. So just double that and give yourself a chance before you just say, oh, it's obviously too busy of a market for me to start wholesaling in. Does everyone know what wholesaling real estate is, by the way? You think everyone knows? I, I think for the most part, but why don't you baseline it for people? Yeah, it's a way to get into real estate investing without actually having a lot of money and allows you to make a finder's fee for finding a rundown property, getting it under contract and passing it off to an investor who will fix it up. And the finder's fee is typically 15% of the total property value. So you're dealing with rundown problem properties, but compared to a real estate agent making 3% can make a whole lot more per property and provide a real solution to somebody who needs cash quickly for their house because one thing or another happened in their life and their property's in no condition to sell in the market. So that's wholesaling real estate. Yeah, that something has changed in our market significantly regarding wholesaling. We, um, And I'm paraphrasing some of this, but it has weeded out a lot of wholesalers because if you get a property under contract, you have to close on it or you have to hold a real a realtor license. I, there's a lot of issues now in, in my market that has caused some wholesalers to just stop. So it's opened things up a bit for us. That's right. Another reason to get in now. Yeah, another reason to get in now. With that type of trend, what trend are you seeing in your app? What are some of the functionality, I would imagine the dial driving for dollars and the mailings, of course. But is there a functionality that you've added that has surprised you that has become so popular? Yes. The virtual driving for dollars is really popular. When I was starting out, I was working, I was having a nine to five job. And after I got off work, I was driving around for a couple of hours before the sun went down. In the wintertime, the sun goes down earlier. So 
if I were starting in the winter, I wouldn't have had as much time to look for these rundown properties and learn my neighborhoods. But virtual driving for dollars allows you on your mobile phone to go through Google Maps, Google Earth, essentially. And when you see a rundown house, you can quickly add it and then keep driving. And it still tracks your routes so you don't have to go on the same street twice. And if, you, if it's been a while since you were on a certain street, it'll tell you that you need to redrive that area again to see if anything new's happened, if the photo's brand new. So that's been a big trend, especially as we go into the winter months when the days are shorter and people work nine to five jobs and they're working to replace their W-2 income through wholesaling real estate, that virtual driving for dollars can allow them to access you know, the best list that everyone starts with even if the daylight doesn't align. That would be one one feature that I've been blown away by how many people have started to use. You mentioned doing these 30-day challenges. You've probably run into quite a few wholesalers, frankly, at this point. Can you give us a, the top two things that kind of prevent people from getting started? Yeah, so analysis paralysis and quitting too soon. I actually run like a, 30 minute challenge at conferences and there'll be 400 people in the room. I've done it four times this year. Everyone adds three distressed properties in the meeting. And then we make cold calls and texts to them. And since it's just a numbers game, that means we did 400 times three, which is over a thousand calls and texts guarantee every time somebody gets an appointment, somebody that wants to actually sell their house and has an appointment set. So I would say you've just got to simplify it into finding distressed homes and communicating with the owners enough in order for you to get that one person who's, yeah, I actually do need to sell my house. When can you come take a look at it? And it's just as easy as can be. There's no convincing of anything. They're truly happy that you're asking them for this opportunity. So that would be the two things I would say is people quit too soon and they don't do enough outreach of finding distressed homes. Do you have anybody that comes to these groups and and think that this is going to be easy? We've been told time and time again that this is just mailbox money. It just shows up. But I don't think people really have an idea of that level of consistent, persistent behavior you have to implement in order to find those deals. You doing 300 episodes of your podcast is a good illustration that it takes time to develop like a meaningful piece of uh, media like that and an audience. And so real estate wholesaling is definitely an active business. You can build it into a cash generating machine that you use to buy rentals. And then that generates what I call just checkbook money. I don't even get stuff mailed to my mailbox anymore. It just auto drafts into my account. So it's even easier because you don't have to go deposit it at the bank. But that's how I would view wholesaling when you're just getting into it is it's the way to 10x your W-2 salary and develop your skills at the same time. So what better opportunity is there to practice finding killer real estate deals than wholesaling real estate where you can make $20,000 finder's fee while practicing? So without a lot of risk other than your time. So that would be just something I'd be very excited to tell anyone who wants to quit their job in the next 12 months that they should consider. So let's say somebody does get their property under contract using your Could you talk a little bit about what they should do next? How do they find those buyers? Yeah, so I actually got stuck here because I had never bought a house. I was looking for a discounted property and I was like, something just won't let me me feel comfortable talking to these sellers 
when I've never bought a house. So I ended up like getting my own house and house hacking it, renting out four of the bedrooms. That gave me some income so then I could quit my job. And then I had more confidence talking with people who needed to sell their distressed house. So that's how I dealt with it. But really, you don't need to know what happens after you get it under contract because you just send the contract to a title company and they take you the rest of the way. If you were wholesaling it, the only other step would be once you have that house under contract, post it on Facebook Marketplace, post it on Craigslist, go to your local meetup and tell people you've got this house who are saying that they are buying houses. And so go to your Google and ask it, you know, sell my house fast, South Dakota, whatever city, and you're going to find the, the top five people who are buying distressed homes. Present the deal to them to see if they can help you sell the deal. So once you have the deal under contract, like taking those steps will find you a buyer, especially the, the Google option, right? Is like those people have big buyers lists because they've obviously invested enough to be the top of Google for selling distress for buying distressed homes. So that would be the next, the only next step. But yeah, send that contract to the title company. And then if you're going to wholesale it, finding the buyer through those uh, ways that I just mentioned would be your next step. Yeah, I've made a, a point of calling this out a few times because I want to make sure that people are spending being as fervent about finding their their buyers as they are the opportunity. I've run into too many where you find the deal and the money will follow that's the situation. And I've run into too many people where now they run out of time or what have you. So you got to be spending some effort on making a plan for disposition as well. Mm -hmm. So David, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I want to remind everybody again, find David on the socials, DLECO. And those are going to be clickable links in the show notes. But before I let you go, David, I do have some rapid fire questions here for you. Okay, I'm ready for the rapid fire questions. First of all, what lie do real estate investors tell themselves and sometimes to others? So the lie that I'm telling myself is when I'm starting, I'm telling myself that they are going to see through me and know that I've never done a deal before. And I felt like I had to tell them or I had to lie and say, oh, I'm going to buy this property when really I, I was going to wholesale it. And so I think that what I've learned now is I feel excellent when I say, hey, I might not be your best offer, the highest dollar offer. But what I can do is I can give you a cash offer that you can count on and I can get you closed and cash out within two weeks. So that way they know up front, like that transparency is going to make me stand out rather than somebody who's trying to like wiggle around the fact that they may be giving them a lowball offer. And also you can tell them that you're actually going to be marketing their property once you have it under contract. So those types of transparent conversations, I think, are the solution to that lie. So many wholesalers that are brand new tell themselves, which is like, oh, I can't tell them like what I'm going to be doing with this property. That, that is exceptional. I can't stress what you've just said enough. I have found that the transparency and blunt honest, honesty will get you far further when it comes to talking to it. It adds credibility, frankly, when you're talking to these individuals. But yeah, after 
one other thing that struck me is that when you do that first deal, have you found that once you do that first deal, you get that under your belt, the next deals come quicker and easier? Absolutely. Absolutely. Something flips in your mind and you're finally convinced that, oh, this is actually possible. Mm -hmm. And it's like a light bulb. For sure. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? Yeah. So actually my favorite book that I read in the last year is called Humor Seriously. So I was so nervous talking with a seller that I was probably very stiff. But Humor Seriously did this research and they say, a lot of people are afraid to use humor at work, but it can work wonders. We always talk about we're not selling a commodity. We're actually solving someone's very specific problem. And if you are allowing yourself to be a little lighthearted, even if the joke isn't funny, as long as it's not offensive, then the person will actually like you more. And that's proven by research. So it's really helped me lighten up a lot at work. And even when talking with sellers and the book unlocked that for me. Um, it, what it's meant for at my own company is people are happier, they're staying longer, and I'm having to spend less time replacing them if they quit and training somebody new. The way I know that is because, one, we haven't lost anyone in the last year and a half. We've had the same 28 people and nobody's quit. And also we do this scoring called net promoter score. So we ask everyone on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you be to recommend Deal Machine as a place to work? And it's scored negative 100 to 100. And like companies like Apple and Coca-Cola have scores between 30 and 50. We have 90, 90 out of 100. So like I don't even know how that's possible to stay there that high. But people, have, I feel like that's correlated to me be kind of loosening up in business conversations. And that would be one of my favorite books, Humor Seriously. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in your business world or personal? And you can't say, of course, deal machine. Yeah. So the one tool I can't live without is my weights that I live uh, lift at the gym. So this uh, past year or so, I started off doing 75 hard. I guess it was two years ago now. And I was feeling anxiety because my business was having its first, in five years of history, it had its first month where we didn't grow. And it was right at the point where I had hired quite a bit of extra staff. We were up to 50 employees, actually. So a business that was very profitable kind of got squeezed from the, the lack of growth and the raise of expenses. And so I was like worried. I was like, man, am I going to am I going to let somebody go? What's that going to do to our culture? Am I going to still keep this Ferrari that I have if I have to let somebody go? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And so I had a lot of anxiety. And I, the way I got out of it was doing the 75 hard, which is a mental toughness challenge that includes two 45-minute workouts per day. And it built these incredible habits where I fell in love with taking care of myself first rather than worrying about external things like my business. Because if I'm having anxiety and I'm not sleeping, there's no way I could possibly pour into anything or anyone else. That was about a year, like a year and a half ago. And so at six days a week, I'm lifting weights and I'm doing cardio on top of that. And just for fun, I decided to do my first bodybuilding competition. So I, I just did it last weekend. But that discipline has just been so excellent in my life that I view everything else I do with a higher level of excellence because I'm like taking care of myself. Plus, I'm cracking jokes. Like I said, the, the business has been doing well this year and we've been growing this year. So I would say in terms of tools, got to be the barbells. So it, you experience that contraction of your business or your workforce. 
How did you handle that then and what happened there? There was a period of time at the beginning of last year where in tech, if you applied for any other job, you could just make 40% more. That three-month window came to an end doing these massive layoffs, right? So luckily, we shrunk back down to 28 when people who weren't as bought into the mission or more about pay took some of those jobs, and most of them actually lost their job three months later. So it thankfully reduced our staff, and I never had to let anyone go until the beginning of this year. I had a couple senior people with high salaries that I communicated with them three months in advance and my team to say, we have right-sized our company. It's made us healthier. There's a couple senior people that make a lot that were not able to deploy their skills, which is to lead a large team because the team is not large anymore. And so I'm giving them a huge heads up. And I want you guys to know that's why we're letting these two people go. And so it actually made us even more productive as the communication between teams kind of shrunk, right? Because if you have two people, there's only two points of communication. If you have three people, now there's nine ways of communication. And if you add a fourth, it is an exponential thing, right? So when we shrunk down, got rid of some of that middle management that we had, and then everyone on the team was no longer like just a manager. Everyone was at least partially like a doer of work, which was what we needed for our size team of 28. We actually got more productive and morale, like I said, increased with me making more jokes, being healthy myself. And so that all, it all just correlated together. And so that's how we ended up dealing with that situation. I kept the Ferrari, Jack. I know that was probably on your mind as well. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Buy the Ferrari earlier? I wouldn't buy it earlier. I actually didn't buy it when I could. My mentor suggested that I wait and tie it to a milestone. And so I bought it whenever we did a million dollars in one month. And so I'm really glad I waited for that because funny enough, I actually two years in had a accident with the Ferrari and the dealer was going to take three months to fix it. They offered me graciously to just swap cars. They would buy that that one from me and give me another one they had in stock. But to me, the car actually meant more than just being a car, a cool car. And so I said, no, I'd rather you fix mine. I'll wait for it. And I want mine back because that means something to me because I had tied it to that goal. If I was going back in time in the real estate investing space, I was in a hurry to quit my job. Thankfully, my small company that I worked for said, whoa, we can't live without you immediately. So whatever we got to do to make you stay, we will do like how about we pay you four times more salary to stay like two more months so we can hire a replacement? And I was like, ugh, fine. Because what I really wanted to do is just focus all my time on starting my business. It's a really good thing that they paid me four times more because I actually burned through all of that and wasn't able to take payment from my own company as soon as I had thought. So I would have built up my side hustle more before quitting my W-2 job. So that that would have been like another, it worked out okay for me, but that would have been something I would have taught myself was like, hey, maybe make the side hustle a bigger thing before you get so hot and heavy to, to go. You Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. In under 60 seconds, can you give everyone one tip or trick that they can implement today to have a direct influence on their real estate investing business? Yeah. If you're just getting started, 
easy layups are going to give you that motivation to unlock in your head to say, Jack and David can do this, but can I do this? To thinking, oh, wow, I could definitely do this. So I would say what you can do today for free is go to your county and pull the people who are tax delinquent and are going to have their property sold. And then immediately upload that list into Deal Machine and send out the mail. And that way you'll get calls from people who are truly motivated because obviously they aren't paying their taxes. Something's wrong and you'll find somebody who's motivated. I guarantee it. If you do that, that will give you an easy layup to get started and do your next deal. Well, David, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? I wish we would have talked more about your mindset whenever you were starting your company, but we'll have to do that when I interview you on my podcast. Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast, if you're open to it. Yep, I'm open to it. Again, you can find David at DLECO, but of course, DealMachine.com is the app that we've been talking about. Really appreciate it, David. Great catching up. Of course. And I would say if you are, if if what I said resonated with you about when should you quit your W-2 job and start your wholesaling business full-time, I would say episode 60 of my podcast would be a great one to listen to. It's called Feeling Stuck to Earning 10K on the Side to Unlimited Potential. So that can give you a good roadmap on how to build up that side hustle and when to quit. Thanks again, David. It's been great. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jack. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.